here's the word of the Lord. And let's read Isaiah 12, 2 together. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the most familiar name for God from the Old Testament, Jehovah. And that doesn't mean Jehovah's Witnesses, but I want to witness about Jehovah tonight. All right? So let's read it. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that you will minister it to our hearts. Teach us, Lord. Speak to us. Guide us. And Lord, thank you for the, the edification and the strengthening of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And I so appreciate you being here on a Wednesday night. I know since school has started, it's more difficult for many of you. And uh, so we appreciate you being here. And uh, it's exciting to see that many people go down to finding the rock. Amen. Now we're looking at the names of God. And at first I was going to cover eight of them. The eight that you've probably heard something about in the past. Because I really began to research this subject. I, I just, I had to teach 12 names. And uh, there, are, there are 12 names for God, uh, four that really help you to understand the final eight. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Elohim. Tonight we're going to look at Jehovah. Next week, El Shaddai, and the week after, Adonai. And when we get those four down, it's going to lay a real foundation for the final eight. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Makedesh. Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Rophi, Jehovah Jireh, and so on and so forth. So tonight, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness in that I'm going to witness about Jehovah. Not the way they do, but the way the Bible clearly does. So let's just uh, recap just a little bit. To the Christian, the most important thing of all is the knowledge of God. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All right? So it's what you know that sets you free, okay? The better we know Him, the better we will experience and glorify Him without question. The cry of the Apostle Paul was, can you read it with me, everybody? That I may know Him. This was the heart cry of the Apostle Paul. Not, oh, that I might reach the whole world, but that I may know Him. I want to know Him, okay? Now, in Jesus' prayer for his disciples, he said, quote, and this is life eternal, that they should know you, the only true God, and he whom you did send, even Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Jesus said. This is life eternal, to know him and his son, Jesus Christ. That's life eternal. One of the most profitable avenues, if you want to know God, is through that which was revealed in His names. Now we're studying 12 names of God in this series, and let's just go over them real quickly, and we're going to know these by memory by the time we're done. Can you read them with me? Elohim, the Almighty One, Jehovah, which means Lord, El Shaddai, which is the All-Bountiful One, Adonai, which is Master of Masters, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rophi, my healer, Jehovah Nissi, my banner, Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah who sanctifies, Jehovah Shalom, my peace, Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness, 
Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd, and Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah is there. Can you say it with me? He's here. That's why Jesus said, I am. I am. And when God was identifying himself to the children of Israel, he said, just tell them, I am sent you. You need to see them again? All right. There they are. So I want you to notice that when God wanted us to know something about him, he gave us a name. Now, my name, Jeff, I never knew this until after I was saved, but Jeffrey comes from Old English, Geoffrey, and it means peace of God or God's peace. Well, you wouldn't have thought that when I was 15, but you think it now because uh, uh, just a lot of my ministry is, is bringing people into peace with God. And I have God's peace, okay? So, and all of you who have names, and that's all of you, your name means something. You may not know what it means, but it means something. But please understand, in the Bible times, a name was very, very important because what your parents named you often had a prophetic impact on your life. Names were very important in the Bible. That's why I think when you name a child in our day, you ought to name them something powerful, something prophetic, something God reveals to you about them. And then let them know this is what your name means. This is what God showed us about you. All right? Say, well, it's too late, Pastor Jeff. I didn't know that. Well, tell people you know who are having children. But when it came to God, when God wanted to reveal something of his character or his personality to you and me, he did it via a name. And so this is why we're studying the names of God, to know the names and understand the names, the import of the names. What they really mean is to know God better. And we want to come to know God better. We're not here to be religious. We're here to come to know the Lord. All right? So tonight we're going to look at Jehovah. Now let's just learn a couple of, of foundational things about that name Jehovah. In the authorized or the King James Version, as some people would tell you, the only real Bible. That's a joke, son. It's not the only real Bible. But I had a guy, I worked for a guy once who, who insisted that the King James Version was the only legitimate version. And if I would go preach and he would ask me, well, what'd you preach? And I'd tell him, well, what'd you preach out of? And it was anything other than King James. I had to listen to a lecture for 30 minutes about how nobody was going to be impacted by the Word if it wasn't through King James. Because after all, Jesus spoke in King James, right? I just wanted to see if y'all are out there. All the these, thous, wouldas, shouldas, couldas. I know it's pretty, but there's other very good versions. But watch this now. In the authorized or the King James Version of our Bible, the Hebrew word Jehovah is translated Lord in capitals to distinguish it from another Hebrew word, Adonai, which we're going to look at in two weeks, which is also translated Lord. So when you see in your Bible, Lord in all caps, that is taken from Jehovah. That means Jehovah. All right? Now, let's, let's go over some things about the name. It's a powerful name. Jehovah is the most frequently used name for God in the entire Old Testament. It occurs 6,823 times. That's a lot of times. 
6,823 times we find Jehovah. We find it first in Genesis 2-4. Really important here. Catch this. You don't find the word Jehovah until Genesis 2 verse 4. And we're coming back to that fact later in this message. But you find it in Genesis 2-4 combined with Elohim and it is translated Jehovah Elohim in Genesis 2-4. Jehovah Elohim. Now what's it translated out of? Hebrew. Old Testament is what? Written in what? Hebrew. The New Testament primarily in what? Greek. All right. So we're translating from the Hebrew language Jehovah Elohim. We find Jehovah first used in Genesis 2-4. Now this coupling of these two names remains constant all through the second and third chapters, except in the account of the temptation where only Elohim is used, and I'm going to come back to that because that is really something. Elohim is used in the temptation. Now, after this, we find the name of Jehovah alone, apart from Elohim. Or sometimes we find the two names used separately in the very same sentence. Now, let me give you an example. Now, remember, what does Elohim mean? It means great and mighty and dreadful. If you're on God's good side, he's great. If you're not on his good side, he's what? He's dreadful. Paul said it is a, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I do not. I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to, and I don't want to meet God in judgment. We want to meet God through the blood. You do not want to meet God through judgment. So Elohim, the first name by which God revealed himself to humanity, simply meant uh, uh, dreadful, great, mighty, and it also means covenant. Now keep this in mind. When you hear the word Elohim, it's just describing the universal, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient creator God. When you hear Elohim, you just think God. You're talking about God. Always has been, always will be, everywhere at once, all-powerful, all-knowing. When you hear Elohim, it is giving you a, a name to describe the concept of God. Okay? And it also means covenant. We talked about that last week. For example, the names Jehovah and Elohim are both used in Genesis 28, 13. Watch this. Quote, I am Jehovah, the Elohim of Abraham, your father, and the Elohim of Isaac. Catch that. Amazing. He says, I'm Jehovah. I am the, the great and the mighty covenant-keeping God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Elohim is how the patriarchs knew God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as Elohim. That was their understanding of God. He's the mighty God. He's the creator of the worlds. He's the God of covenant. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at once. So, the next thing we need to know about Jehovah is that it means to live and to have life. 
Jehovah the name means to live and have life. Elohim, great, mighty, dreadful, covenant-keeping God, the creator of the world. But Jehovah goes to the essence of who God is. And Jehovah means to live or to be and to have life. The name Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew verb hava, meaning to be or being. You know, I got to think of the old saying, I, I, what is that? I lost that old saying as soon as I said I had an old saying. (laughs) I'll think of it in a minute. Jeff, edit this out. (laughs) Anyway, um, to be or to, to, to have being. So, this is really getting basic here. You either are or you're not. You are or you're not. Are you here tonight? Don't tell me you hope so. You know, we're, we have being. We're alive. All right? So Jehovah is just going to the essence of existence here. It's also very similar to the, he, the Hebrew verb kava, meaning to live or life. Now, we're getting really grassroots here with this name. It's easy to see the connection between being, I remember what it was, I think, therefore I am. That's what it was. I think, therefore I am. Well, we are, amen? And you know what? We are alive. You know why we're alive? Because of Jehovah. We're alive. Now look, it's easy to see the connection between being and life. To be is to be alive. Amen? All right. So when we see the name Jehovah or Lord in capital letters in our Bible, we should think of existence and life. And that's as basic as the name gets. And we should also think of Jehovah as the being who is absolutely self-existent, the one who in himself possesses essential life and permanent existence And Jehovah is not dependent on anybody or anything. We've got to have him to live. In him we live and move and have our being. But Jehovah, as we're going to see in just a moment, needs nobody and no thing. He is utterly self-existent, dependent on nothing. He is God, real God. The actual God, the only God. And we should also think of Jehovah as the being, uh, well, I just read that, but again, he possesses essential life and he possesses permanent existence. And I got to tell you, to me, the, eterni- the eternalness of God is the hardest thing in the world to wrap my mind around. I can't do it. I've tried because I'm in a finite mind. And everything in my world has a beginning and an ending. I know when I look at something, it had a beginning and it's going to have an ending. One day it's going to be gone. And one day it came into being. But when you think about God, He never, ever came into being. As far back as you want to go in eternity past, He's there. And when I try going back there, trillions and trillions and quadrillions and trillions to the hundredth power, trillions of years further, and I realize he was there. There's a point where my brain 
just goes and I can't go there anymore. Because he's not finite. He's infinite. And then when you think about your spirit, your spirit, that the Bible says is also eternal. Now your spirit had a beginning, but it has no ending. Now when I think about that I'm going to be with God eternity future, that trillions and trillions of years from now, we've only just begun. I don't even know if I want to live that long. <laughs> Can I at least go to sleep some? It, it's, it's an incomprehensible it, it just It's a mind-blowing concept. But Jesus said, I came to give you eternal life. Eternal. So though our spirits had a beginning, they have no ending. And this is one of the somber messages of the Bible, that you have an eternal soul. Now, uh, Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11, perfectly captures this idea of Jehovah God being both life and existence. Let's read it together, can we? I am he. Before me there was no Elohim formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. You hear what he's saying? I'm the one and only. There isn't another one like me. There is nobody comparable. He is the one and only God of the universe. He will never be replaced, not ever. And he alone, he only can save. He said, there is no Savior beside me. He is the only one that can save. So as the revelation of him progresses through Scripture, he uses both Elohim, meaning Almighty Creator, and Jehovah, the one who is and who has life, to describe himself. These are the first two pictures we're given of who and what the real God is. Powerful stuff. And so let's go on to another fact about Jehovah. The name Jehovah is the only name that does not refer to what he has done, but to who he is. Now you think about what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Jehovah Shalom, that's peace. He did that. He gave me peace. Jehovah Rophi, he's my healer. That's something he did. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. That's something he does. Uh, uh, Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. That's something that he does. So the names that God gave us, all of them but this one, Jehovah, describe something that he did or does. Jehovah only describes him. Jehovah only describes God, who he is. One Jewish commentator wrote the following concerning the name Jehovah, and I like this. I had to use this. He says, all the names of God which occur in Scripture are derived from what he has done, from his works, except one, and that is Jehovah. Jehovah has been called the plain name, P-L-A-I-N, plain name, because it teaches plainly and unequivocally of the substance or the makeup of God. It's not telling us what he did or does. Jehovah tells us who he is. And we're going to see who he is in just a minute. All right? In the name of Jehovah, the personality of the supreme God is distinctly expressed. It's the proper name referring to the person of God. The name Jehovah 
separates him from all other gods. Now watch this. I found this very interesting. In Scripture, we can find God and we do find God referred to in Scriptures as the Elohim. Can you say with me, the Elohim? All right, the Elohim. So you're using the article there, the. The Elohim. There's the Elohim. All right, the Elohim meaning the true God as opposed to false gods. In other words, when you use the word the, you say the Elohim, you're comparing. You're saying, well, there's the real God as opposed to these over here that are not real. All right? Now follow me. This is kind of a little bit technical tonight, but I can feel you thinking and we're going to get there. Okay? The Elohim. So when I say, um, well, there's the Kathy. To me, she's the Kathy. Now, if I say, now there's the Kathy, I'm obviously saying as opposed to other Kathys. There's the Kathy. Not a Kathy. If I said there's a Kathy, I'm in trouble at home. (laughs) There's just one of many. She's no different. Okay? But if I say there's the Kathy, I'm safe at home. I'm safe on the way home. I have peace on the way home. What the Bible is, is showing us is that there were times in Scripture where the writer would say, the Elohim, because he was holding up Israel's God and comparing Israel's God to other false gods. Okay, are you with me? But we do not find anywhere in the Bible the phrase, the Jehovah. For it is understood that Jehovah means the one and only God. He is incomparable. He is alone. He's uncontested. Jehovah is never held up to comparison because there is none. If there were no other Cathys in the whole world, I would have to say thee. I say there's Kathy. Because there's no other Kathys in the whole world. So I don't need to distinguish. She's the one and only. So I don't need to say, there's, there's the Kathy. Just, there's Kathy. There's no other Kathys. But if there's other Kathys, i got to distinguish. What, we're, what Scripture is showing us is that Jehovah is so incomparably in his own stratosphere that the Bible doesn't use thee to separate him from any others because there is no comparison. There isn't any comparison. This name, Jehovah, is so high, so powerful, so lofty, so unique, so incomparable that I don't need to say there's the Jehovah because there's not any others where I got to distinguish him. Man, that, I tell you, I love the Word of God. The Word of God is so powerful. Are you, are you with me now? Isn't it funny the difference a little V can make? But you won't find anywhere in the whole Bible the Jehovah used. The Elohim, but never the Jehovah. Wow. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When people question this word, they just haven't read it. The more I read this Bible, the more convinced I become 
And when I run across something that confuses me, you can ask my wife this. She's known me a very long time. We celebrate 30 years this January. She's known me a long time. And I'm going to tell you, uh, she has seen me come up with questions because I read a lot. And, and I, I, I'm a teacher, so I've got to read a lot. And I, I'm a natural reader, so I read a lot. But sometimes my reading gets me into trouble because I come up with questions. But I've never come up with a question about the Bible that I didn't take to God that he did not sovereignly bring me an answer. And I'm going to tell you, the more I study, the more I preach, the more I teach, it's not that I need any more convincing, but I marvel at the immaculate intricacy and accuracy of this book. It is not like any other book. This book is in its own stratosphere. Jehovah is the name linked to Revelation about the person of God. We're going to see in this series that when God wished to make a special revelation of himself, he used the name Jehovah. Did you ever stop and think about that? Those eight names, Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh, so on and so forth. None of them say Elohim Shammah, Elohim Shalom, Elohim Jireh, or Adonai Jireh, or Adonai Shalom. They all utilized the name Jehovah. You know why? Because God chose Jehovah to be the name by which he revealed himself. It's the name of revelation about God. So we have Jehovah Shalom, Jireh, Shammah, and so on. Each of these names that begin with Jehovah tells us something distinct about him. So Jehovah is the name linked to revelation about God. Just wait. In the, in the weeks that are coming, it's going to change your life, I promise you. If you'll give your time to this and be here on Wednesday nights, it's going to change, strengthen your faith, renew your mind. And some of you that are struggling about some things concerning God are going to get answers. Because when we look at it, that He's our provider, Jehovah the covenant God said so. When we see that He's our peace, Jehovah the covenant God said so. It's going it's to cement you in your faith to believe God for things in prayer. Okay? So say with me, Jehovah is the name by which he reveals himself. Now, it took centuries for God's people to understand the full import of the name Jehovah. This is a mind blower for me and something I've realized that God revealed himself through history in time and in stages. Now, I want you to look at what one commentator said. God's personal existence, the continuity of his dealings with man, the unchangeableness of his promises, and the whole revelation of his redeeming mercy gathers around the name Jehovah. Powerful name. Now, interestingly, Jehovah first appeared when? Genesis when? 2-4. So in Genesis 2-4, he gave his name. But look what we find Moses, God telling Moses in Exodus 6. He says, quote, I am Jehovah, and I appeared. Who do he appear to? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. We're looking at that one next week, which means God Almighty. And as to my name Jehovah, 
What does it say, everybody? I was not understood by them. Though the name of Jehovah was in the Word, had been given to the people, it took them centuries to understand the full import of the name Jehovah. Abraham didn't get it, neither did Isaac, neither did Jacob. He sits right there and tells us, the patriarchs did not know me by the name Jehovah. They didn't understand it, though it was in my word. Even though the name of Jehovah appears as early as the second chapter of Genesis and is used frequently over and over from then on, the above verse makes it abundantly clear that its full significance had never been understood by the patriarchs. Do you know that you can go to church for years and one day the light will go off and you'll understand something that has been being preached for 10 years and you're hearing and you heard it but you didn't hear it? You ever experienced that? Uh, have you ever picked up your Bible and read a verse that you've read a thousand times and it leaps out at you and you go, wow, I never saw that. You know what happened? You just got a, a revelation. God just opened his word to you and you understood something that was there the whole time. You just couldn't see it. Now, let me tell you something about God. God is not discovered. God's not discovered. You don't go out and discover God. God is revealed. God's never discovered. You know why we can't discover God? Because we're spiritually blind. He said, well, I went out and found Jesus one day. No, you did not. You never found Jesus. Well, then how did I get saved? He found you. Well, but I decided to repent. <laughs> you were a corpse on a slab, so to speak. So you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead people don't sit up and say, I think I'm going to go look for God today. You were laying there in your spiritual death, and God the Holy Ghost came to you, quickened you, convicted you. Jesus said, He, when the Spirit of truth comes, will convict you. Well, if we hadn't been convicted, we wouldn't be saved. Because we'd have never known we were in sin, ever, if we had not been convicted. So we repented. And we were raised from the spiritual dead. And anything we understand now from this book is something that God has opened our understanding to. Jesus said, pray that you can have eye salve. Pray that I anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can see. Before you're saved, this is a dead book. After you're saved, it's a living book. Uh, before you're saved, this is meaningless to you. After you're saved, it's your will and testament. I mean, it all changes with the entrance of the Holy Spirit into your life. And here's these patriarchs. God revealed himself as, as Jehovah way back in Genesis 2-4, before Noah, before all that happened, before the flood, before all of that, before the patriarchs were anywhere on the scene. He revealed his name Jehovah, but they never fully understood it. They only related to God according to El Shaddai. That was it. They couldn't get it. It took Moses coming to them, God ready to fulfill his covenant, to deliver them from Egypt, the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I am has sent me to you. So who's that? Jehovah. They said, ah, and they made the connection. Jehovah is directly connected to the God who fulfills his covenants. So through Moses, they began to relate to God as Jehovah. 
even though the name had been around for centuries. May God help us. May He give us divine light to get a hold of some things that we don't have to wait around for years to get a hold of. Amen? Now, He said, I am Jehovah. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, as El Shaddai. But as to my name Jehovah, I was not understood by them. So there you have it. They never understood the full significance of the name Jehovah. Now, another thing about the name of Jehovah is it uniquely sets Israel's God apart from all others. And that's what I was talking to you about, about a moment ago. Let's look at that. A glance through history testifies that all the nations around Israel had their own Elohim. And all that means is they had their own almighty God, though not the true God. The great ancient civilizations were littered with gods. The more I study history, the more I'm amazed at how man, who has been disconnected from God, in the Garden of Eden, we lost contact and we strayed from God. But you can go to all the ancient civilizations, they're all seeking for a God, groping for a God, creating gods, knowing that there ought to be a God. But until God revealed the real true God to people, the best they could do is come up with their own. Because God's not discovered. He's revealed. So watch this. Egypt worshipped a God of the sun. And they had hundreds of gods, the Egyptians alone. Samaria worshipped a God of vegetation, a God of the moon. Babylon worshipped a multitude of gods. An official census one time was taken of the gods of Babylon. There was over 65,000 of them. Can you imagine the confusion there? I want you to say a word with me, polytheism. Now, that just simply means, as you probably know, the, the belief in many gods. And it's terribly confusing. Egypt, Samaria, Babylon, you go to all the ancient civilizations, the Greeks, they all believed in a multitude of gods. So you don't know who to go to when. It's confusing and it's torture. Monotheism is where we are. The belief in one God. And boy, does that make it easier. Uh, the Greeks, they had their mythological gods like Zeus and his son Apollo, who was the god of prophecy, sunlight, music, and healing. And this is something I just got to share with you. When I read that, notice again the way Apollo was believed or what they believed about him. God of prophecy, sunlight, music, and healing. One thing I discovered, and this is what God really helped me with. Uh, I love history, and most of the history that I, I read, uh, I read either through the lens of biography, reading about somebody's life, or I read it because I want to see how God behaved or acted or manifested himself through the centuries. So I started reading about the ancient civilizations. And you know what I noticed? When you read about Samaria, the oldest civilization, you go back to Egypt, which was around for uh, a couple of thousand years. Um, it lasted a long, long time. We talk about America being a little over 200 years old. Egypt lasted a couple of thousand. Or you go to Babylon. And I began to see, as I read about these ancient civilizations... Not only did they believe in a multitude of gods, but I began to find something that really freaked me out. A lot of them believed in a mother goddess who gave birth to a divine son 
who was sometime in his life killed and then resurrected from the dead. And I read about it over and over again. I'd turn over to Kathy and say, Kathy, you got to pray for me. She'd say, what now? I'd say, I found another one. There's another ancient civilization way before Christ. Far removed from the Hebrews. And they would have this myth or this belief that there had been some mother goddess and a son who lived and then died and then was raised from the dead. And because of his resurrection, he made other people whole and healthy and redeemed. And so I would read these things, secular history books, not weirdo stuff, secular history books. I could bring them to you tonight. I said, Lord, you got to answer me on this. I want to know how they came up with that. Where did they get this? Two nights ago, I'm reading C.S. Lewis. I'm reading Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis takes two sentences and he says, he's talking about God manifesting himself in history. And he says, and then there were all these ancient civilizations who had what I call good dreams. And these good dreams were given them by God. Dreams of a mother goddess and and a son and the son dying and raising from the, rising from the dead and then being redeemed because of it. I jumped up. Kathy was in the other room. I came running in there with the book open. I said, you're not going to believe this because I'd already asked God for an answer. And so here's what the answer is. God was so good in history with these pagan people who were not privy to the covenants of the Hebrews. I mean, good grief. While Jeremiah was prophesying in the Old Testament... Buddha was teaching in India. What do you do with, you look at the whole world, not just what was happening with Israel, but what was happening all over the world in the times of the prophets and the Hebrews. There were pagan civilizations that had no idea what God was doing with the Hebrews and the way he was revealing himself. So God gave these ancient civilizations good dreams. And he deposited the notion among them of a mother divinely chosen who would bring forth a special son who would live and die and rise from the dead and his resurrection would be the redemption of mankind. And it's all through the history of man. Good dreams. Isn't God good? It's sort of like the Spirit of God was whispering, here's what's coming, here's what's coming, here's what's coming. This is myth, but the real thing is coming. And I'm working it out through the Hebrews. I'm revealing my names to them. Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai. I'm I'm manifesting my realness to them. They're learning about the one true God, not a bunch of mythological gods. And I'm letting them know that a real son is coming through a truly divinely chosen woman. And he is going to bear the sins of the world. He is going to die, and he is going to rise from the dead. And when he does, you're going to be redeemed. Isn't that something? Well, that's free. That wasn't in my notes. I'm just letting you know that God answers our prayers. All right, let's move along quickly. If you're being blessed, say amen. Okay, so to Israel, the medium of revelation of himself through the written word 
the Bible, and the medium of revelation of himself in the flesh through Messiah, the living word, is Jehovah, the God of revelation. Now let's close out with one last thing about Jehovah. Jehovah reveals the moral side of God. Now this is really cool. While Elohim is the mighty omnipotent one who created the vast universe and who within the Godhead covenanted to preserve the world, the name Jehovah reveals that God's love is conditioned upon moral and spiritual qualities. When we come to Jehovah, we come to morals. We discover that our God is a moral God. Now watch this. The name Jehovah is not used in our Bible until, as we said, Genesis 2-4. While the universe and everything in it are created, Elohim is used exclusively through Genesis 1 to Genesis 2-4. You only read Elohim this, Elohim that, Elohim this and that as God's creating the world. But following God's crowning creation, the name Jehovah is revealed. Quote, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that who? Preach to me. Say it louder. The Lord God. And what did I tell you about all caps? So that's Jehovah. When the Lord God, Jehovah, made the earth and the heavens. So there we go. Whoa, there's another name for God, Jehovah. Wow. All right, let's go on. At this juncture, God now comes into communion with man, who he has made in his image. And the Elohim now is called Jehovah Elohim. It is as Jehovah that God places man under moral obligations with a warning of punishment for disobedience. Elohim didn't do that, but Jehovah does it. With Jehovah comes thou shalt not and thou shalt. Interestingly, when Satan comes to tempt Eve in the garden, he does not mention the name Jehovah but only Elohim. And Eve does not reply to Satan with Jehovah, but with Elohim. It's like both of them were trying to ignore the Jehovah who had said, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Because Jehovah had already said, don't eat of that tree. And they said, yes, sir, Jehovah. But when Satan comes to her, he says, forget this Jehovah stuff, Elohim, Elohim, the creator. We're all God's children. Okay? So they conveniently ignore the name that brought thou shalt and thou shalt not. Also interesting is that after Adam and Eve's fall, it's the voice of Jehovah God they hear in the garden, not Elohim, saying, where art thou? Demanding an account of their actions. How many of you ever heard God say that to you? Where art thou? You remember that? To Israel of old, Righteousness and holiness were the two great attributes associated with the name Jehovah. So holy and sacred was the name that they refused to pronounce it. Even in today's synagogues, it's not used, but it's substituted with Adonai. They won't say Jehovah. Jehovah is righteous. Can you say that with me? Jehovah is righteous. Psalms 11.7 says that he loves righteousness. Daniel wrote that Jehovah, our Elohim, is righteous in all his works. Abraham boldly asked of Jehovah God, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? His first requirements of those who would be his witnesses 
is this. You shall be holy, for I, Jehovah, your Elohim, am holy. It is Jehovah's righteousness against which man sins. And a righteous Jehovah, whose holiness is violated and outraged, must condemn unrighteousness and punish it. It was Jehovah who needed Jesus to die on the cross to take care of our debt of sin because it was Jehovah who was offended. It is Jehovah who banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. It is as Jehovah he looks upon a wicked and corrupt earth and says, I will destroy. It is Jehovah who says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. That's Jehovah. But Jehovah, praise God, is also love. It is his love that makes him grieve and suffer for the sins and sorrows of his creatures. Listen to what he says through Jeremiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love. In the book of Judges, we read again and again that when Israel forsook Jehovah and served the Elohim of the nations around them, Jehovah's anger brought grievous punishment upon them, but of the same Jehovah it is said, read it with me everybody, his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. He judged the sin, but his love hated what they were doing to themselves. Let's move along quickly. Thus we have two great facts about Jehovah. While his holiness must condemn, his love redeems. And he seeks to bring fallen man back into fellowship with himself. One commentator writes, Wherever the name Jehovah appears, after man has fallen from original righteousness, what see we but that God is ever seeking the restoration of man? always. He goes in search of Adam and Eve. He teaches the first family a sacrificial system by which they may draw near to him and so on. He's always seeking to restore those who have strayed from him. This is also very interesting to me. In the first seven chapters of Leviticus, which particularly deal with the system of sacrifice, Elohim is used once, but Jehovah is used 86 times. In Genesis 6, when God commanded Noah to bring two of every kind of creature into the ark, we read that Noah did all that Elohim had commanded him. Bringing two of every creature into the ark was the commandment of Elohim. But when you move ahead to chapter 7, verse 5 of Genesis, the name Jehovah is used when he commanded Noah to bring seven pairs of every clean beast. Why the switch? The first instance was only concerned with preserving the creation. The second instance was concerned with the animals needed to make the sacrifices upon which forgiveness and fellowship with Jehovah were based. So Elohim said, get two of every kind into this ark. Jehovah said, bring seven of the clean animals you're going to have to sacrifice to me, and I want to be sure that you and I keep our relationship clean. There you have Elohim, and there you have Jehovah. At the close of Genesis 4, the new son born to Adam and Eve is named Enos, which is a word for man denoting a weak and fallen state. It signifies helplessness. Scripture says that it was at this time men began to call on the name of Jehovah, not Elohim, Jehovah. Not Elohim the Creator, but Jehovah the Redeemer. Can you stand with me tonight? Read with me this last part, can you? Jehovah is righteousness. 
Jehovah is the name that reveals the moral nature of God and His requirements for us. It is Jehovah of whom Isaiah says is a just God and a Savior. Next week we're going to look at El Shaddai. Amen. Can we just thank God for Jehovah who is our Savior. Lord, we just thank You for the names of God. We thank You, Lord God, for the name of Jehovah, for it reveals who You are. You are holy. You are righteous. And we thank You, Lord, for providing the, son, the blood of the Son of God so that we could enter into relationship with Jehovah, who demands holiness. We thank You for it and bless You for it. Can we just bless the Lord tonight? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the